Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. You could call extension schools the original MOOCs. Universities first opened these offshoots more than 100 years ago. And at the time, these were innovative. Extension schools were, I guess, the original attempt by higher education to offer a low-cost version for the non-elite. Harvard University's extension school has been embracing and expanding its online courses, and as a result, it now has more students than the rest of Harvard combined. Well, unless you count the students who don't pay anything and take the university's free MOOCs, those online courses, of course, are offered by a different part of the university. And lately, I've been starting to get confused, actually, about how many different types of kind of non-credit or partial credit or this, this type of degree and that from colleges, including Harvard. And talking to colleagues here, I think I'm not the only one who's is kind of going, which one is free and which one is admission and which one is credit? And what is the need or role of an extension school now that Harvard has other ways to get its courses out to the world? I recently sat down with the dean of Harvard's extension, Hunt Lambert, to ask him to sort through all these offerings and give us his vision of where the school is headed. The conversation was actually part of a series of interviews we did with thought leaders, um, and those were at ASU GSV Summit on the Future of Education a couple weeks ago. Here's the interview. Hello and welcome back to Ed Surge Live Thought Leader Interview Series. Um, hey, I'm Jeff Young, a senior editor at Ed Surge, and, um, and I'm excited to be joined this half hour by Huntington Lambert, Hunt Lambert, um, Dean of Continuing Education at Harvard Hello. University. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Jeff, thanks for having me. I saw this last year at ASU GSV, and I said, I got to do it next year. This Fantastic. Is, this is cool. Yeah, glad we could get you on. And um, so I guess I wanted to start off, I'm really curious about, um, you know, we Harvard is extension school. You've been there a few years now. And since then, you've really been increasing the number of online offerings yeah. Yeah. at that school. And yet, during that same period, people probably have noticed <laughs> Harvard X and you know the rise of these MOOCs, these massive open online courses, in kind of a different area of Harvard, but kind of similar kind mm-hmm. of thing. I'm kind of curious... As an example, I mean, as a specific thing, how do you differentiate what you're doing at the extension school now between mm-hmm. some of these newer, newfangled online programs and 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 kind of what is how does this all fit together for people? No, that's um, a great great question. And you know, the extension school, as you know, has been going for 109 years now. Exactly. Yes, yeah, since so, the 1910s. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. some of our earliest innovations was putting classroom uh, light, electric light bulbs in our classrooms in the evening. So, so it really does go way back, and we had radio classes, and we had TV classes, and ultimately started doing internet classes in 1997, uh, which were really crude, this is the best way to say it. Right. But throughout that, Harvard, being this exclusive faculty-driven entity, has always had this extension arm. Mm-hmm. And this extension arm, uh, if you go back to 1835, started as a gift where the person said you should educate the common women and men of Boston. And that was fascinating, 1835 to say women, uh, very advanced for those days. But we kept that idea going all these years that it's great that Harvard is what it is, but it's insufficient unless it reaches the rest of the world. And so at Extension School, we are one of the 12 degree-granting entities, and we've been growing it online as the technology allowed, and 600 online classes this year. 600? 600, up from about 100 uh, when I started five years ago and 22,000 students who will take one or more online classes this year. Hmm. So we've also become quite big. Last year, uh, we passed the rest of Harvard combined in total students. 
And the students have responded amazingly well. And, and what we call it there is our job is to extend Harvard to this part-time learner who can have the academic ability, curiosity, and drive to succeed at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And there are tens of thousands of those around the world. HarvardX is a really good contrast because HarvardX's mission is to extend faculty to the whole world. So it's mostly non-credit over the edX platform. They've produced about 100 MOOCs. Uh, they've had, I think, 6 million people register for those. So it's a completely different scale. And those are free. That's part of the scale, They're right? Free. Yours, yours are lower cost than certainly the Harvard yeah. College, but, but, but still cost. Exactly. So I, I, I think they're two different segments in the market hmm. uh, where they're really trying to extend Harvard's wisdom to the world for anyone who wants to try and participate without assessment, without credit, at free or very low cost for a certificate. For us, we're really looking for the serious adult learner who's willing to put in the time and effort to earn a grade. Mm -hmm. uh, all of our courses, 1,200 each year now, are open access, and students take advantage of that. You earn your way in admission, which is still unique. We've been doing that for over 100 years. Um, but it results in something really special. And the students who bother to spend the time and the money to, to take two or three courses to become admitted graduate at almost a 90% rate, hmm. which is some 50 points higher than the national average of 33 and so this mechanism works, and the fact that you can do a whole undergraduate degree for about 50000 and a whole graduate degree for about 30000 from Harvard, mm -hmm. part-time, while working, with very little debt, because you tend to get employer tuition reimbursement and or you're paying as you go one class at a time, uh, just seems to have hit a sweet spot in the market. So I'm curious, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I asked that question is because it, it seems like with all the, the attention that's in the last <laughs> few years around things like MOOCs, which of course people you know, love to, to hate them at this point or something. Mm -hmm. Like they were that big hype and now you hear less about them, even though they're still going. But I guess where does the extension school, which as you mentioned, is mm -hmm. now the old old legacy, you know, player in this same world. What is the future of the extension school in, in not just at Harvard but elsewhere compared to, you know, what is its role now in the in the era we're in, in this MOOC era, so, the online era? So I think you know from our prior conversations and for the people listening, my personal mission in this, the reason I, I like standing on the crimson soapbox on the corner, because it's a big soapbox, hmm. is if Harvard can do what we do, using technology to extend Harvard to another set of learners and do it affordably and make a surplus doing it, then I feel like anybody should. And the more we develop the technology and the techniques and the pedagogy to do it, and the more we give that away, the more the big state schools are empowered. Because the issue in the United States is not the 30-odd thousand students we teach. It's the 30 million that are still excluded from the market. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, these are people who are plenty smart, but they went to work, or they had no way to go to school in a normal pattern, or they got to school and the model of teaching in the classroom didn't work for them. Southern New Hampshire's done a phenomenal job bringing those people back into the market. And for the people who can do our caliber of work, uh, we're there too. And I would like to see hundreds of public universities replicating what we've done, extending themselves to this additional group of learners. I think it'll help them with their budget, and it's eminently doable, and it really matters to the country. And if we can do it, the whole world can do it, and we can get at the two billion globally who are excluded from higher ed today. And in different cases, it seems like the Extension School, I think you could argue, has been a kind of an innovator with online education mm -hmm. at a place at traditional yep. universities over the years. Mm -hmm. um, what do you see going forward? Do you think that, because you, you, do you see yourself playing that role or is it settling in now where Extension is kind of knows what it wants to do <laughs> and does it? 
If, um, if, if we stop innovating, we're dead. Uh, and that's a message for, I think, everybody in higher ed today. So you know, we, we have innovated compared to the rest of Harvard throughout history, not because it was just our mission, but because we had to. When you're trying to educate an adult learner around their work schedule, around their family commitments, and make it fit in their life, you have to innovate a great deal in how you serve them, how you support them, and as technology improved, how you deliver learning to them at their time, at their place. And so a couple of the really huge innovations we've done since I've gotten there, and my team has been amazing at this, is we've reinvented a teaching method using web conference tools. We call it Helix, it's based on Zoom. And we have done that in a way where we can have a class of 30 people from anywhere in the world with a faculty member anywhere in the world. And they teach a live class that many students and faculty are telling us are as intimate as being in the classroom, uh, but we let the student control place. And we even let the faculty member control place. And that method of teaching has grown to 250 classes in three years. And it's working. More importantly, we worked with Zoom to build in the key pedagogical and operating uh, features that we needed to make a great class, not just a great web conference. And within that great class, where we're getting these amazing intimate relationships built as well as the learning, uh, we've bent the cost curve so completely that we can run an entire class for a semester in that mode for under $4,000. And it costs about $1.50 for each additional student that joins in on that class. And so that lets us keep our tuition low. But more importantly to Harvard, I can now teach a 12-person undergraduate class and not lose money. And we've never been able to do that before. That means, again, we can take this Harvard formula of intimate personal learning uh, to the world at an affordable price. Uh, you all at Harvard are going through some changes. you got a new president coming in, mm -hmm. I heard. Yeah. Um, Lawrence um, Bacow? Yep. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I've not Larry. met him. Larry, he goes by. <laughs> Larry. Uh, I don't know if I would call him that, but uh, <laughs> he said he wants to create more ways for underserved communities, for Harvard to serve underserved yeah. communities. Um, yeah. is, that, is that something that you are yeah. part yeah. of in that plan? Absolutely. Uh, and and how? Uh, President Bacow uh, has been wonderful so far. I've spent some time with him. Uh, since he was appointed, and he's written on this subject in his academic writing as an economist as well. So he's quite familiar with what we do, and I think he's going to figure out uh, how to extend what President Faust did. Uh, President Faust continued the needs-blind admission to create more diversity, more access, more first time in families uh, going to college for Harvard College. Mm -hmm. That theme has expanded across more of the schools. It's always been present for us because of our access mission and because our courses were open access, so we've always attracted those. He'd like us to go further. And I, I don't want to speak for him because he's not even in his role yet, but I, I think President Bacow would say Harvard needs to do it all. So we have to be the most exclusive university with the most amazing residential learning uh, programs in the history of the world. And that's what Harvard aspires to in every category, which is wonderful. And we have, uh, we're lucky enough to have financial support from donors to let us pursue that. And we have to have an extension school that creates a learning opportunity at a more affordable price with real Harvard courses, real assessment, real human support uh, for another set of learners who cannot come to a full-time residential program and we need to continue to do things like HarvardX through edX, where we make great faculty-driven uh, content available to the whole world to be consumed as they see it benefiting them. And you know, I, I'm 
very positive on MOOCs, even though I still can't figure out how they pay for themselves. And I'm positive for it because most of the people who do it get what they wanted out of it. This is back to how do you define student success? Well, if I sign up for a 16-week MOOC, and there's only one week that I wanted to learn, and I did that week and I accomplished my learning, you succeeded. Our metrics don't let us see that yet. So I have a feeling that MOOCs are having a much bigger impact than either the financial metrics or the completion metrics would show. And if we're going to reach the rest of the world, and the people whose only access to education is on their phone, say in sub-Saharan Africa, I don't think we're going to get to them any other way. So I think the MOOCs are good, and we still don't know how to make them great. And it's interesting because I know that, um, you know, you mentioned that Harvard is trying to do these kind of contradictory almost things of being the most elite or, you know, hard, hard to get into <laughs> and to, to, to sort of has that uh, whatever sorting mechanism, if you will. Yeah. And also do things like what you work on of, of allowing anyone in. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it does say if you get that degree you mentioned, you know, the Harvard Extension mm-hmm. one, it does say, though, Harvard Extension, right? And so it there's, does. This, yes. there's this way in which, I mean, there's this way in which a place like Harvard, it sounds like, has a tough time kind of differentiating the different products you offer. If you, I know yeah. education is not a product, and people on Twitter are probably telling me, reminding me that right now, and it's not. But and that's part of your problem, right? It's, it's a very unique uh, thing that, that you're, you're working with here. And, I think that's a false differentiation. I mean, Harvard has 12 degree-granting entities. Each of those schools has their name on their product, the business school, the law school, the divinity school, the design school, the extension school. And I think most people know the extension school is the school where you can go if you're a part-time learner, you know, other than a right. full-time residential program. And it's still Harvard-worthy. It's for a different learner. And they often do the exact same courses, uh, but they can perform in it. And I think it's now really required that the great global universities of the future do all of it. And I say that because when I look at the demographic of our students, I'll give you a great example. So I was in Miami a few weeks ago and uh, had an alumni and student event. And I'm standing there looking at these, and I have a 15-year-old young lady I'm talking to. This 15-year-old young lady, her entire life has been based on pursuing neurobiology, neurophysiology, neurosciences. And so she's taking classes from the extension school because while in high school, she can do that. And she can come to our summer school and do it with a lab experience. Hmm. And she probably ran out of options in her local community. Completely out of options. She was standing next to another young lady who was into theoretical physics. That's all she ever wanted to do. She's doing the same thing through us. They're standing next to a 34-year-old who's doing one of our graduate certificates, which is stackable into a graduate degree. Mm -hmm. They're standing next to a 50-year-old school teacher who's using Lisa New's poetry course, and he's taking it and teaching it to his students at the same time. So it's Harvard inside his high school class for the high schoolers and him. And I've got a 75-year-old that's a member of our Harvard Institute for Learning and Retirement who's in Florida on vacation. And you look at that group of people, And right in front of me is a group with a 60-year age spread that we're teaching. And and what struck me in that was they are coming to us one point at a time. And what if we thought of that as a continuum? And Mm -hmm. you've heard me talk about this term 60-year curriculum. For me, that was a perfect illustration of a 60-year curriculum. What if every student that ever touched Harvard instead of just doing their one-point activity and then going off into the world, we help them always mm-hmm. be ready for their next civic, social, or professional opportunity. What if we could build an engine of analysis and advising so that we could reach out and say, we just saw on your LinkedIn 
that you got promoted, well, guess what? People with jobs like that, according to Burning Glass, need these sorts of skills. And we have these products, and there's other people that have other products, and yes, I'm calling them products, that will help you be ready for that. And we just want to remind you that you probably ought to keep going back to school because all of these jobs are knowledge jobs. Knowledge jobs need more than training. Uh, they need more than certification. They need real education. And that's what the extension school does. So I see a future where we are purposefully helping students age 15 to 75 always be ready for their next opportunity. Well, we have a, a, a video question. Let's cue that up. And reminder to out there, we, we are, we're going to take some questions um, from the audience. So Maggie Dempsey, um, she's going to type it, okay? All right, Maggie's <laughs> typing in the question. We can see you there. Okay, how significant of a factor is career development for your students and yourself, and how do you handle it, and do you have any frustrations? <laughs> oh, that's a terrific question, Maggie. So um, early on when I was uh, bringing a group together to try to invent whatever this 60-year uh, curriculum turns out to be, I went to our career center, and I said, have you ever conceived of yourself as giving career advice for 60 years, as opposed to just at termination points of, of degrees or credentials? And they sort of scratched their heads and, and basically said no. Hmm. Uh, so what we've done historically for the extension school is we have uh, staff inside Harvard's Career Center. And they also innovate because they have a completely different student than the rest of Harvard. Our average student is 34 years old and has worked for 10 to 15 years. At the extension school, sure. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, Harvard's Career Center knows how to give advice to undergrads, PhD students, and to working adults. And we're going to have to keep investing in that because part of the recommendations that we have to give uh, students is career pathing. And so I see that as a long-term relationship. I suspect we'll have to have outside vendor support. Uh, there are people who do this really well, and you can tap into it online on a fee basis. And I suspect part of our future uh, is to expand what we do in our own advice uh, with companies that provide that service because I don't think we can scale enough. Uh, for the number of people who might participate. I mean, if we have 1,000 students a year graduating from the extension school and another 2,000 finishing our graduate certificates, in a few years we have an awful lot of people seeking career advice. Uh, and I think it's on us to make sure we provide that. So I think career is fundamental to, to this advice, as much so as the courses. Great. Well, I think we have another question from the audience uh, from Arizona State University. Um, what mechanisms or enhancements can you see Harvard adding to its MOOC model to increase access and completion rates for at-risk students and low-income students? Because that's, I think that's a great question. Thank you. Um, that's, so in other words, you know, maybe people who really already know how to do education thrive, but what about those trying to serve new communities or people who don't have that preparation? No, great question and a shout Great excuse for me to give a shout out for Arizona State University because well, what you all are doing under Michael Crow's leadership is inspiring and if people aren't paying attention they should be paying attention because to my mind you're redefining the role of a global higher ed institution in general. Um, the MOOC one I think is interesting to try to drive up completion rates of our MOOCs we broke them up honestly. A 12-week or 16-week course is a gigantic thing for the average person to do. Right. And so many of ours are now down to three or four weeks, and the completion rates of those modules are much, much higher. I see. Um, so that's one. Um, many MOOCs outside of what Harvard does are much more professionally oriented, and that helps completion because people are going in and actually getting something that benefits them directly at work. 
Uh, Harvard specialty, as most people know, are in the liberal arts. We have 16 uh, MOOCs related to China alone hmm. and the history and culture of China. Hmm. Uh, so we do this phenomenal work. It is less professionally oriented than many of the other schools. But if you look at MIT's MOOCs as an example, they get enormous completion rates, uh, particularly around things like their supply chain management courses right. that are tied into their micro-masters. Uh, they've I think, had over 200 or 300,000 people start all those courses. They've had about 17,000 finish those courses. But as you point out there, that's a, very, that's a different sector than the kind of courses it that is. Harvard is doing. So you have your own kind but of But we've had millions mark. take pieces of them. Sure. Uh, but I, I think our researchers would be willing to say, we still don't know the real answer to that question. Hmm. And it's because there are so many types of MOOC participants, some mm-hmm. that want it because it's a documentary. Some it's edutainment, some it's education. Hmm. The students I care the most about are the people who are trying to learn from it. And that's where our research team spends their analytical time trying to say, how do we prop up their learning? What does that mean? How do we do it, particularly at a cost point that's very, very low? Because if you're in sub-Saharan Africa trying to learn something about economics over a MOOC and there's nobody around who knows anything about it, it's a hard thing to do. You have (laughs) I wondered about the extension... um, uh, degree, uh, and it's a question I think for all of these new kind of new ones as well, new entrants like MOOCs. How much do employers accept it, or you know, mm-hmm. I, or are, you, are you, a lot of your students doing it for other reasons besides just employment? If it's you know learning philosophy or whatever they're taking, you know, China. No, no, there's a there's a wonderful myth at Harvard that most people come to the extension school for personal learning, personal enrichment. Um, It's not true. 96% of them tell us they're there for professional advancement. And Hmm. the the highest growth programs for us relate to professional advancement. Uh, The way that employers look at the degree, uh, honestly, is they know it's a Harvard credential. They know it's not the college. They know it's not the business school or the law school. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're often confused about what it is. Uh, yes, I, further I, you get from Harvard, gets back but, to that question, right, of like, <laughs> you've got all these different flavors of Harvard. So here's, here's what I say to our learners, and I really believe this. I, I say, first tell your employer, how amazing is it that Harvard makes itself available to a student who can't go there full-time? And secondly, how amazing is it that I can work full-time and succeed at Harvard rigor courses? Mm-hmm. And I'd apply that to any school. If you're doing online course from Arizona State, per the earlier question, best thing you can say to an employer is, are you kidding? I mean, you hire Arizona State undergrads? Well, I outperform them in the same classes while working full-time, while raising a family. Mm-hmm. Which is more valuable to you as an employer? And, and so I think the students who engage in extension-type programs and continuing ed programs are showing their employer loud and clear. They're willing to spend the time and energy to advance themselves to help their company. Are you taking any of these extension courses yourself? I am not. I want to teach some. There you go. Uh, the most difficult part of my job is how little teaching I get to do. I, sure. I came to higher ed 20-odd years ago to teach. Sure. And the rest of it's been a wonderful accident. Well, I'm, I'm sure you could probably uh, get yourself a gig there <laughs> teaching as well. Well, hey, I really wanted to thank you for joining us and sharing your perspective uh, and, and what you're working on. So uh, you're welcome. Thanks and please, for, having, for being uh, here today. I encourage everybody out there who's listening who's part of a higher ed institution copy us, steal our information, steal our knowledge, we'll give it away because together we're trying to serve 30, 40 million more people and Harvard will never get more than about 50,000 of those, so we need help. 
Uh, well, honestly, thanks again. This has been a bonus edition of the Ed Surge on Air podcast. If this is the first time you've heard us, we hope you'll subscribe on your favorite podcast app and maybe take a minute to give us a rating. We'll be back Tuesday with another regular installment. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.